The Historical Jesus Podcast is the sweeping saga of the life and times of Galilean Jesus of Nazareth, as well as the faith, religion, and church founded to honor and disseminate his acts and teachings. Join me, Mark Vinette, on this fascinating journey through time, exploring the many great works of Christian theology, literature, architecture, music, and art inspired by the words and deeds of Jesus Christ. Welcome to the History of North America. I'm Mark Vinette. At the time the saga of Don Quixote was written, the city of Guanajuato in central Mexico was an important colonial town due to the area's large silver deposits. Because it was an important Spanish site, the city today boasts of lavish colonial architecture and a historic town center that is recognized by UNESCO for its cultural heritage. The city proudly holds an annual international festival in honor of Cervantes and his famous characters and story. Don Quixote is a fictional character made famous by the Spanish author Miguel de Cervantes. This Spanish epic novel of the early 1600s went on to be read around the world in Spanish and most other languages, making its author one of the most read writers in human history. The story's influence on North American literature is immeasurable. Let's join Not Just the Tudors podcast to explore Miguel de Cervantes' life and the world he lived in, how his influences converged in his work, and how Don Quixote radically changed the nature of literature and created a new way of viewing the world, including North America. Born in 1547, Spanish writer Miguel de Cervantes would see the first part of his masterwork, the ingenious gentleman Don Quixote of La Mancha, published in 1605. Along with its second part, published in 1615, the novel would become a near-instant success. This is a fascinating look at the first ever novel. Don Quixote is not a book that simply takes accurate snapshots or pictures of the world. What it does is it takes pictures of how people picture the world, and then it compares those. And that, by necessity, leads to explorations of where people get things wrong, how we go about getting things wrong. But in order to create that series of images to compare, using words to do so, it necessarily produces what we now, as readers and experiencers of modern fiction, experience as character depth. 1612 that the translation came into English and we use the word translation now. These were essentially new versions that were inspired by the translators having read Cervantes. It clearly made an impact. We perhaps know a little bit more about the impact that it made in different cultures other than England, but there are not extant texts that we know by reference and most famously Cardenio that Shakespeare purportedly co-wrote shortly after perhaps translation in 1612 came out. So a couple of years before both authors died. And Cardenio, of course, is perennially the, the butt of jokes around Shakespeare's birthday when it's purported that Cardenio has finally been found again. So very clearly Shakespeare and other great writers and playwrights the time were reading at least translations or versions that had been passed down, as they did from other cultures as well, obviously absolutely seeped in Renaissance culture of Italy. But they were reading Cervantes and found a lot to borrow from, as great authors always did at the time. And Cervantes himself was, of course, borrowing too. 
the great context of this novel, that it's written at a time when the world is expanding with trade and scientific invention and foreign cultures coming into view and, of course, war. How did this impact Cervantes' Spanish identity as a whole? So deeply. I guess I would make the argument that there couldn't have been any Don Quixote if it hadn't been for Cervantes living the life that he did, which was an itinerant life from early on. It was the life of a soldier, the life of an adventurer, the life of a traveler, what you would call actually quite accurately there's a whole genre of literature, the picaresque, which refers to literature of roguery, of living your life by your wits. Boy, in a real person's life, to have reflected that kind of literary genre. I can't think of an author who lived a more roguish in that sense life than Cervantes. And at the same time, not just inspired by trying to get the best for himself, but really inspired by ideals, by going out there and thinking at first, all right, this is what one needs to do. You live your life as a life of bravery. You fight for a cause. You risk everything. And then to suffer the disappointment of saying, but this state that I fought for, this religion that I fought for, they say these things about other people in the world, and I've actually gone and lived with those people and encountered them, and I've found humanity and love and fidelity in cultures that my own culture is telling me are literally infidels, but I'm finding the opposite. And so he then goes and he describes at a very human level with people from North Africa of a completely different religion. He brings them into his stories. He describes situations of translation between cultures. And some of the most deeply moving moments are when you have people, and particularly men, a father who can't speak any Spanish. And so Cervantes is imagining the conversation as his daughter is carried away by the man she's fallen in love with on a boat to escape slavery. And that wealthy Muslim father crying his eyes out on the shore saying, take anything of mine, take all of my wealth, take all of my good but give me my daughter back. And to be able to tell a story like that in the context of a book that is raucously funny, and then you have these moments where you actually have to tear up because of the extraordinary levels of empathy that Cervantes was capable of as an author. All of that could only occur because this particular man was living at this particular time and on the front wave of that expansive world where generation or two earlier, the average person would never have moved more than maybe seven kilometers from the place where that person was born. And now you can literally be born and then die on the other side of the world. Or be born, travel, fight, inherit, earn. You could be born poor. You can come back wealthy, having established yourself in the colonies and then come back and then die again within seven kilometers of your own birthplace. But now a completely self-made man, as it were. Doctors endorse it, nutritionists recommend it, and customers love it. Calotrin Healthy Weight Loss. Ron in Texas lost 35 pounds. Marie in Pennsylvania lost 117 pounds with Calotrin. Diane not only lost weight, but she also found relief from arthritis. Lynn lost over 45 pounds. Calotrin contains collagen, the most abundant protein naturally occurring in the human body which decreases as we age. Taking Calatrin promotes better sleep, more energy, less joint pain, and best of all, weight loss. Calatrin has an amazing 86% success rate with their 90-day supply. And this week, take advantage of their President's Day sale. Buy the 90-day supply and get an extra month free plus free shipping. Ordering is so easy. Just text the word HISTORY to the code 
30605 and we'll send you a link to the special offer. Again, text HISTORY, that's H-I-S-T-O-R-Y, using the code 30605. Lots of channels, nothing to watch, especially if you're searching for the truth. It's time to interrupt your regularly scheduled programs with something actually worth watching. Salem News Channel, straightforward, unfiltered, with in-depth insight and analysis from the greatest collection of conservative minds, like Hugh Hewitt, Mike Gallagher, Sebastian Gorka, and more. Find truth. Watch 24-7 on SNC.TV and on Local Now, Channel 525. One of the most striking and sobering aspects of Cervantes' own life is the detail of his five-year imprisonment in Algiers. And it seems particularly bleak and unrelenting. Is that the moment when his loss of faith in his ideals comes about, when his view of warfare changes? I think there's no one particular moment, but certainly that experience was transformative in so many ways, and not just in negative ways. Captivity was no joke. He could have lost his life at any moment. He could have lost it in particularly gruesome ways. He could have been tortured to death, as many of his fellow slaves were. And not only that, what he constantly, from all the documents that we're able to review, and from what we can ascertain by eyewitness reports at the time, he behaved with extraordinary courage during this period of time as well. He really didn't want to be a slave in Algiers. He would do anything and use his ingenuity, which was considerable, and his ability with people, which was considerable, to try to create avenues for escape. And on four different occasions, he tried it. And on four different occasions, he and his fellow conspirators were caught and some lost their lives as a result. Cervantes would offer himself up instead of those who were punished. He desperately wanted not only to get himself out of slavery, but to get his compatriots out of slavery. And then ultimately, when he was released, it was a ransom that was paid. The money was sent, in fact, to a ransom someone else, but they didn't have enough money for that other person. And then his captors, who had insisted all along that Cervantes, because of the letters that he carried from Juan of Austria, who had been his commanding officer in the wars prior to his captivity, he must be much more important than Cervantes actually was was, and they were always holding out during these years for a higher ransom. And they finally gave up on that and said, okay, we'll take the money for this guy and put him at the last possible moment on the boat. His brother had already gotten away earlier and Cervantes went back. And it was after that, it was after all this suffering and after all of this sacrifice, he was writing, he was trying his hand at novels, at theater, Nothing was really breaking for him, and he was trying to get what you could call a sinecure, a nice, comfortable government position, and he was not getting any kind of an answer. He wasn't getting any kind of face time from people who were government officials who should have been recognizing his sacrifices, and I think that ultimately was the straw that broke the camel's back and led him to say, listen, I'm going to have to live by my wits as a writer. I'm going to start telling some truths. And then we have this idea that being a soldier is somewhat like tilting at windmills, I suppose. One has to feel positive about his achievements so late in life and the time he takes to write novels. These are very comforting things for writers to hear. I want to ask you one more question, which speaks to how literary scholars think about the author. Your book weaves together the threads of Cervantes' life and the legacy of this extraordinary novel. So the question is, is it fair to examine a man's life through the lens of his art and his art through the lens of his life? Can we really trace these two things together? 
I hope it's fair. I certainly understand and developed as a literary theorist in times when we also heard you know, the possibility of the intentional fallacy and the idea that you need to take a work and look at it on its own. And I understand that there's something like an aesthetic or formalist reading, which tries to bracket that out and not consider the life. But I would think at this point, myself and perhaps a lot of others who have been duly educated by the long 20th century of thinking about ways of reading literature, have ultimately adopted a kind of eclectic approach where you say it does doesn't mean that something that you learn about the life of an author will indelibly imprint itself in a way that you can't make aesthetic judgments about a work that are in some ways independent of that. But saying that doesn't mean that knowing a whole lot about both an author and his or her life and the context of production isn't going to help you, as I said before, reconstruct a historical context that's going to be a helpful filter for understanding that work. For example, I enter into the debate a little bit explicitly as well with out and out old historicists approach Don Quixote, who make this claim, look, all the book ever was a funny book, a satirical book. Cervantes says so in the prologue, he's not trying to do anything else. This big kind of world-changing, ironic approach that's so imposing on the past, things that didn't even exist, like these philosophical interpretations of irony. And my response to that, of course they didn't exist. Part of what the Germans were like, Hegel and Schlegel, what they were actually coming up with and what they themselves attributed their ideas to was the fact that the ground out of which they came up with these ideas was written by people before them, among which Cervantes. So, of course, Cervantes himself would not have had the same philosophical tools to analyze this. We wouldn't expect him to either. But that doesn't mean that the kind of innovations that he developed at the time and that led to the kind of writing and world-making that comes out of his writing didn't, in fact, influence and impact thinkers who would ultimately come up with the philosophical ideas that, for that very reason, then become pertinent for analyzing his work. It's a story about a work, it's a story about a life, and it's also a story about an age. And it's wonderful on all of those counts. Check out the YouTube version of this episode, which has accompanying images. I'm Mark Vinette, and I hope you're enjoying the ride.